All Wisdom, where we are applying biblical truth to everyday life. My name is Derek Brown, and I'm here today with Cliff McManus. We are both pastors and elders at Creekside Bible Church in Cupertino, California, and professors at the Cornerstone Bible College and Seminary in Vallejo, California. And today we want to talk about a proper view of the government. But before we get to our topic, I want to point your attention to withallwisdom.org, where you will find a large and growing collection of resources on various theological, cultural, and practical topics that are all rooted in God's Word and aimed to help you make genuine progress in your walk with the Lord. Now on to our topic. I recently was having a conversation with someone about uh, how Christians are to obey the government, and they were pointing back to the, the Bible, saying that that is the call of the Christian to obey the government, and they're really making just kind of a blanket statement, not really qualifying it too much. And I've had conversations about this topic with this person in the past, and that is their basic approach, that we are to obey the government, and that's what Romans 13 says. And so that is not an isolated incident, however. I have found that to be a the, to be the understanding of a, a lot of people, as a, a lot of Christians, as they've talked to them, read their articles, that the, the approach to Romans 13 is basically this, that Christians are to obey the government. And there's there very, little, very little qualification after that basic premise. And we will, of course, uh, affirm that Christians are called to, as the Romans 13 does say, to be subject to governing authorities. But we want to actually go through Romans 13 in some detail to see that it doesn't teach merely that Christians are to obey the government. There is more to it, more qualification that needs to be made, important qualifications that Paul himself makes in the text. And so we're just going to take some time today to walk through this text and hopefully uh, bring some insight, some much-needed insight into this, this topic. And so if you are joining with us and you have an opportunity to open your Bibles on your iPhone or your smartphone or your uh, Bibles, just go ahead and open up to Romans 13. We want to walk through that passage of Scripture together. I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then Cliff and I will talk about it. This is verses 1 through 7 of Romans chapter 13. I'm reading out of the ESV. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed." Cliff, how would you like to open up our study of Romans 13? What are some first principles that we need to notice? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to just offer a couple of big picture observations just to set the context for Romans 13, 1 through 7. Um, one is just the overall theme of the seven verses you just read. Paul's talking to believers in Rome. Maybe many, many of them were relatively new believers because the gospel in the church was fresh. 
Uh, maybe they grew up in pagan homes and got saved. Mm-hmm. So maybe a lot of them didn't grow up with a Christian worldview or a actually a a biblical worldview from the Old Testament. Um, so for many of them, maybe this was new information and giving them a proper worldview of how to perceive and think about the secular governing authorities in the midst yep. of where they lived who could tend to be maybe oppressive, especially towards them now that they are Christians mm-hmm. and don't bow the knee to Caesar. So uh, Paul's saying, no, you don't just uh, uh, you know turn up your nose at pagan rulers right. because they hate God or whatever. As a matter of fact, uh, Christians are supposed to honor government mm-hmm. universally. So yeah. that's kind of the main theme, yeah. and honor governing authorities. So that may have been new information, may have been a startling challenge for several of those Christians too. Sure. Uh, then in the context of Romans, it's kind of interesting. This is real specific about how Christians should – Think about pagan governing authorities and governments, yet for 12 chapters, Paul's been talking about the gospel, mm-hmm. gospel, gospel, gospel implications on a very personal level. It's like, yeah. what in the world? And then he, you know, he's talking about the gospel relative to – and the church relative to Israel, chapters 9 through 11. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, hey, by the way, Christians, you need to honor the government. Right. How in the world does that fit into Paul's flow? Well, I think it does because on the heels of Romans 12, which – Right before this section we just read, uh, right at the end of chapter 12, uh, Paul's talking to Christians at verse 19. He says, never take your own revenge. Do not retaliate mm. against uh, godless, sinful behavior. Yeah. Um, so, you know, don't go out there and take things like a vigilante into your own hands, mm. you're, you know, as though you're the independent law. Well, right. you're not, Christian. Um, so never take your own revenge, beloved, verse 19, chapter 12, but leave room for the wrath of God. Mm. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Um, Verse 21, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Right, right. So Paul recognizes there for the Christian, in terms of your Christian worldview, your daily life, your Christian ethic, you're not supposed to be a person given to retaliation Mm -hmm. as a Christian. Right. And they might, you know, if Paul stopped his letter there, they might be thinking, oh, so we're just supposed to let evil just run roughshod over us as Christians, right. and right. The, the bad people always get away with everything, right. and we just let them do whatever they want with no recourse whatsoever. That's some not, some do suggest that is the Christian yeah, ethic. exactly, and it's called passivism right. or ultimate passivism. Yeah. We never uh, – there's never a, a counterbalance to that yeah. ethic, and yet yeah. Paul gives the beautiful balance here. He says literally in verse 19, leave room for the wrath of God. Well, where is the wrath of God? Mm-hmm. Some might be thinking, oh, that's the end of the age with eternal hell when they die, or right. the end of the age when Jesus returns again. you got to wait till then. Yeah. So in the meantime, we're just doormats. Right. No. Um, there's a wrath of God going on right now mm-hmm. in our midst. Mm-hmm. And he actually uses that word wrath in our passage here in, first, uh, in Romans 13, 1 through 7. Yeah. That governing authorities wield and execute the wrath of God. On bad people. Yeah. So there's the balance. Yeah. So this passage definitely is right in the flow of practical exhortation of how Christians should live in the world. Yep. Another thing I'd like to uh, point out as well, if I'm, I hope I'm not jumping ahead too far here, but um, one of the things that came up a lot, I think, in the last two years was the in relation to COVID restrictions and, and rules and so on and mandates. The question was, is how do Christians appropriate Romans 13 in light of these restrictions and so on? And one of the responses was, you do everything the government tells you because that's what Romans 13 teaches. 
Yep. And in response to that, um, and uh, this has come up more recently. Obviously, we're coming. We're on the, the hopefully on the backside here of COVID and and those sorts of things. But uh, nevertheless, it seems like that that the last two years was kind of a test case for how people understood Romans thirteen and exactly. and how they understood it was was played out. Right? Yep. And what I one thing I'd want to point out as a big picture item as well is. Paul, even in this text here, because sometimes people would respond to that kind of idea by saying, well, let's go to Acts chapter 5, where, mm-hmm. where the, the apostles are clearly uh, resisting governing authority because they're being told they can't preach the gospel, right? Yeah. Well, I'd say even in Romans 13, Paul is qualifying that kind of attitude. He's not saying just obey the government as though you do everything they they tell you to. Yep. We're to honor them, we're to be subject to them, but Paul has something specific in mind about uh, the kind of things that the government's supposed to be doing. He puts a parameter around their um, function. He's not just talking about the function. He's putting parameters around it. And you can you, you know that because he says that um, they are rulers, the rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but to bad. And that is a text that you have to focus on here because Paul is defining precisely what governments are to be doing. They're supposed to be promoting the good and putting down or restraining the bad. And then he'll go on to talk about the the sword. The sword is actually one of the means by uh, curtailing the bad or curtailing the evil. Well, the question that that Christians have to ask is, how do you think Paul is defining good and bad in his own mind? Is he leaving good and bad up to how to define good and bad, good conduct and evil conduct, is he leaving that to be defined by the government so that whatever the government says is good will uphold that and whatever the government says is evil will discipline or punish that and the government determines that and then they implement their various punishments or rewards and and Christians are to yield to all of that. Or does Paul have in mind God's standard of what is good and what is evil. And I would argue as a, as a Jew, as, as Paul being a Jew, writing from his uh, knowledge of the Old Testament, his knowledge of God, that he would say, no, God defines what is good and what is evil in terms of conduct. So even in the text itself, Paul is not saying that uh, Christians obey the government absolutely. He's defining the parameters of government function, and it's to uphold the good, curtail the evil, punish the evil, and that is determined ethically by what God says is good and evil. Yeah, that's good. There are qualifiers there, very specific, Mm -hmm. talking about the expectation God has for governing authorities. There it is in verse 3, very explicitly, what are they supposed to, what are government officials, government leaders, government authorities supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be doing what is good mm-hmm. and praising those who do what is right. good. Going to church is good. That's right. And then what else? Is, they're supposed to be punishing those who do evil. Going to church is not evil. Right. That's right. So the practical application of this is if they're doing their job because they got their authority from God, it's delegated from God, they're supposed to be supporting and protecting what is good. And right. believers who go to church and do those kind of things should be assisted and protected in that endeavor. Right there in the text, you're right. right. Uh, Also, in addition to what you're saying there, that this text does give parameters very clearly about uh, what the government's supposed to be doing. It's not open-ended, just support everything the government's doing, even wrong things the government's doing. 
or oppressive things the government's doing. They're supposed to be, according to Paul, verse 4, ministers of God. He calls them that three times. Right. They are ministers of God, ministers of God, diakonos. They are representatives of God. They're servants of God. They're assistants, literally, to God. Uh, and then also in verse 6, they are servants for God, where we get the word liturgy. These are uh, That word in verse 6 of servants of God uh, is used regarding specifically angels who represent God, mm. priests who represent God and mm. serve God, apostles who serve God, and Jesus Christ himself is the high priest who serves and represents God. That's their calling. That's what they're supposed to do. Yeah, Those are the kind of government leaders we're supposed to submit to. Right. The ones who do God's bidding. Right. Who do good. That's right. And that's vital. Uh, you, you brought up uh, the issue of going to church. And I just remember early on as, as, as some... Uh, churches were refusing to close. They didn't believe that they should um, based on what Scripture teaches. And some of those men were getting fined. The churches were getting fined. They were getting fined for violating the mandates. And I couldn't help but think of uh, Proverbs seventeen twenty six. It says, to impose a fine on a righteous man is not good. Mm. I mean, wow. Scripture says that. Can you read that again? To impose a fine on a righteous man is not good or to strike the noble for their uprightness. Wow. And there you have, there's just a, a small example of how Scripture is defining what is good and what isn't. Another way to say that is to find a godly man is bad. Yes. To find a godly that's man is evil. evil. That's right. To find these faithful pastors wanting to keep their churches open right. to meet the needs of God's saints, to find them, punish them, imprison them, shut them down, that's bad, that's evil. Yeah, that's right. So then a question then I would have is uh, what is the, the evil that, that government should be curtailing or punishing? Well, yes, we're, we're, I think the the evil that God is well, we only know what is evil because of what God defines right, as exactly, evil. Right. So anything that has been revealed by God in His Word, by His revelation, that He calls evil is evil, mm-hmm. and He's made that known. Yeah, murder, yep, theft, things like these that He's made clear in His Word. These are the this is the evil that the government should be putting down. Yep, and these are universally understood, and they have been understood throughout all time. Right, it's not difficult. Uh, and then God's given us an internal barometer called the conscience mm-hmm. for that very purpose. Mm-hmm. And our every human being has a conscience, which is an internal moral law, according to Paul, uh, in first uh, or in Romans chapter one and two. Yeah. And our that internal moral barometer of the internal law, mm. uh, as we're made in the image of God, is supposed to resonate with God's revealed law in divine revelation and Scripture. Yeah. And when those are in sync. Even our internal barometer of what is evil should be known universally. Yeah. And for the most part, that's been true throughout all human history. Yeah. yeah. Well, it goes on to say, um, he says, whoever resists these authorities resists what God has appointed. Uh, for those who resist will incur God, uh, judgment. And we talked about what that looks like, that uh, judgment for what is evil. And how is that defined? Well, it's it's defined by how God defines it in Scripture and Good conduct is defined by God as well. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Again, what good is Paul talking about? Well, he has a he has a Christian worldview. He has a biblical worldview. When he looks out across humanity, he has a specific definition of what good is, uh, and it's according to uh, Scripture. And um, so that's what we have to take as our reference point when we're considering hmm are these are these laws are these what government is proposing are they are they good do they correspond with 
God's uh, word. And I think that was really kind of the the wrestling point for a lot of uh, Christians. Um, Some people would say, well, during the COVID time that, well, they're not telling us we can't preach the gospel. Right. So this doesn't apply. Um, But that's kind of a narrow, I think, a narrow view, a very, very narrow way of thinking about what Paul means here, God's servant for your good. It's it's broader than just the, uh, the ability to preach the gospel. Right. It's it, it, they're just limiting the definition there. Um, the good, the same thing with evil. Good is what God has defined as good, mm-hmm. and He's given us a special revelation all throughout history to tell us what is good. And also, even if you're an unbeliever, being the fact that you're made in the image of God, mm-hmm. you also have the law of God written on your heart. You yeah. have a conscience internally that God has given you. Uh, there is what we believe is the doctrine of uh, common grace. Yeah, right. Uh, that all people have access to, and also um, in creation where God has revealed his very character and uh, basic nature, uh, these are all consistent and defined by what constitutes good as given in Scripture. So anything that is uh, consistent with what Scripture is good is good even if it's from a secular point of view. Mm -hmm. And again, history testifies that all throughout history, um, nations... uh, Basic human goodness, what is good, what is just, what is basic legitimate law has universally been accepted. Yeah. And there are exceptions and there are sinners who deviate from that, but that's not the general picture. Yeah. Do you want to say anything about uh, Paul's statement here in verse 4? He says, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. What does Paul mean there? Yeah, Paul's warning Christians again about the attitude that Christians need to have uh Regarding the government, um, and and we as Christians, this applies two thousand years later to us as well. Uh, that we need to understand that government was created by God, mm-hmm. and as a matter of fact, and that goes back to the beginning. Uh, so, a good question is: When did government start? Is mm. it is it a human creation? Yeah. Is it? Some would say it's a human convention, right? Government. Anarchists. I know some so-called professing Christians who claim to be anarchists. Wow. Yeah, a couple of them. Personally. Really? Interesting discussion. You haven't just read them. about this. You know them personally? I know them personally. We've had some very strange conversations. <laughs> I bet. And they say they believe in the Bible, and they try to point it out from Scripture, and they call themselves anarchists, that wow. we don't need this man-made, fabricated uh, government because it, government is uh, a human artificial construction or a convention. Hmm. We don't need it. If everybody just obeyed God, we wouldn't need government. Uh, but I would say, no, God created government. Mm-hmm. It's here to stay. It's a part of the human fabric. It's a yeah. part of human existence. Um, it was actually established in Romans or uh, Genesis chapter 1 when God created Adam and Eve. Yeah. The first thing he said to them, other than in addition to be fruitful and multiply, was rule the earth. Yeah. Subdue and subject mm. on my behalf. Yeah. That's rule. Yeah. That's governing authority. Yeah. It's delegated authority. But it is authority to rule mm-hmm. from on high. It comes from God. That's the source. Uh, it's clearly defined. It is limited. It's delegated, but it's given to humans to enact here on the earth. That's where government started. And then through time with progressive revelation, we see that that uh, government that man was entrusted to from God was developed, mm-hmm. and it, it changed forms um, at different times. But an, a significant addition to governing authority that plays into verse 4 in Romans 13 where it says uh, governing authorities uh, wield the sword on behalf of God as ministers of God is when Noah got off the ark in Genesis chapter 9 
Right. And there was a whole new world uh, that God had established after the flood. And he gave some new decrees. Um, and, and one of those in Genesis 9, 5, and 6, where he gave the decree of uh, governing authority yeah. in a way that he'd never had before. And he basically told Noah and his sons or their family that from now on you have the right to um, execute or kill those who are murderers. Right. God delegated the authority basically of capital punishment, mm-hmm. I think, to humanity right. from the days of Noah, which is 2500 B.C. Right. Um, so The conditions was, of which is taking a life, not just for yes, anything. Exactly, but, for, but it was for murder, illegitimate yeah. murder. You yeah. take a life, an innocent life, then you have forfeited your yeah. right to live. And God has ordained humans to execute his authority, his governing authorities, or we call it civil magistrates, magistrates to take the life of a murderer. Right. And then uh, you move on from 2500 BC in the days of Noah to to Moses about 1100 years later under Moses and the 613 laws of the Mosaic Covenant yeah. where God delineates in even greater detail more laws that he delegates to humanity including the death penalty that he gave to Noah. Yeah. And he expands that. Mm-hmm. And he extends the death penalty beyond the crime of murder. Uh, now God has given humans and civil manag- magistrates under the theocracy or the governance of yeah. Moses to execute the death penalty, not just for murder, mm-hmm. um, but for rape mm. and over 20 other different crimes. Wow. Um, not all of those uh, – actually, I should say that some of those uh, are even reiterated in the New Testament with the church, mm. that God didn't abolish the death penalty – as he instituted it, when Jesus came and started the church. Um, The death penalty still stands from God's point of view. Uh, The wages of sin is death, and God wants to protect life. So uh, getting back to verse 4 of Romans 13 when he says, for you need to understand, Christian, regarding the government and their authority and their power, that comes from God, even the right to coercively um, execute certain sinners for Mm -hmm. crimes like murder. For it is they are ministers or servants of God to you for good. For if you do what is evil, then be afraid of yeah. the government. For the government does not bear the sword. And th- that's a metaphor or actual reference to an instrument to wield the death penalty yeah. for death, to yeah. kill. That's right. what it means. Right. Uh, God has given the government the ability to execute the death penalty uh for proper purposes, for it is a servant or minister of God, an avenger who brings mm-hmm. wrath on the one who practices evil. So governing authorities are entrusted with the job of bringing God's wrath to yeah. bear on sinful and wicked people to preserve society yeah, so that we can have peace and civility in our society so that we can live with one another. Right. Which are good things. They are good things. Yeah. And without that uh, coercive uh, Placing power, that that uh, ability to bear the sword, as Paul puts it here, um, we might even say today you could translate that as to wear the gun or whatever. Right. That to have this power to to be able to curtail what is evil. What that does is it's it's not a bad thing. It's a God given thing to actually promote peace in societies so that people can live and work and so on. Right. Without that, you have total instability yep. and um, fear and so on. Yep. Well, this has been an excellent uh, 
discussion, Cliff, I'm sure we have more to say. Uh, why don't you take us down to verse 7 as we close out and just say a few things about the last sentence there as Paul talks about owing certain things to whom they're due. Yeah, it's a summary statement in verse 7. He says, render, so Christian, and that's who he's talking to, if you're a believer, this applies to us today, just as it did 2,000 years ago. This needs to be added to our Christian ethic, our Christian worldview, our Christian morality, our, our frame of mind, how we perceive and understand the world, especially those who are in charge and have authority over us in every domain, particularly in the area of government. Mm. And so he said, and this is a command, it's not an option or a suggestion, render to all what is due them. Specifically, tax to whom tax. That means pay your taxes, Christian. Right. Ouch. <laughs> um, pay custom to whom custom. Pay that toll bridge fee. And also pay fear to whom fear. And give honor to whom honor is due. And that's just a, a great way to summarize what Paul's saying here is that we have to have the right attitude and respect towards uh, the very authorities that God has ordained on the earth. Well, thanks, Cliff. That was a great conversation, and we hope it was very helpful for you. We're going to be picking it up here in a little bit again in a part two of this series. But until the next time, we just encourage you to check out withallwisdom.org where you'll find all of our audio and written resources. And until next time, keep seeking the Lord and His Word. Mm-hmm.